uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined once again by Colby Powell, who was on a trip this past week. He got to miss all the craziness with the election. He got to miss all the craziness that was OSU Kansas State, but he has jogged his memory by by rewatching the game. Colby Powell, welcome back and uh, good to be with you again. Yeah, good to be back. It was nice to be gone last week. It was a, a really good week to be gone. Uh, didn't have to deal with the election stuff. Didn't have to watch the OSU game live. If I would have watched the OSU game live, I might have lost my mind. But rewatching it this morning, knowing that Oklahoma State was going to win by two, uh, I was able to keep a level head. So a, an ugly win, obviously, is better than a pretty loss. But, man, it was uh, it was real ugly. And, man, it's Oklahoma State's got some serious problems injury-wise. But I know we'll get to that here in a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure when you were watching in the first half, you were like, how did OSU win this game? I'm sure I'm sure it was comforting knowing they did, but I'm sure as you were watching, you were probably just baffled. I mean, I was wondering how they were even going to get yardage in the second half. I mean, they, yeah. they couldn't get a yard in the first – 83 total yards in the first half. Crazy. Uh, against a team that just got absolutely drilled by West Virginia last week. I was, I was following along – the wedding I went to was actually Saturday um, at 4 – 3 o'clock Eastern time. So I was kind of following along on my my phone, just looking at the game cast during the reception. And I kept wondering, how is this happening? How is this happening? How is this happening? And then obviously the scoop and score turned it around. But yeah, it was it was wild. Yeah, no doubt. We'll, we'll get into all of the game action and stuff. But of course, our podcast is brought to you by Chris University Spirit. You can shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And all day, every day, they're offering free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. So Christmas is not that far away. Get your shopping done early. Go to chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate partnering with Chris once again this season. And let's get right into it. I mean, before we get to the Kansas State game, Coley, we do have some breaking news. Uh, Bedlam, a night game under the lights in Norman. It's a 6.30 kickoff. They just announced this kickoff time. Uh, 6.30 in Norman on ABC and ESPN. So I'll be doing the post-game show on KOCO5 if you are in our viewing market. So, Colby, uh, not an 11 a.m. game for Bedlam. That's always encouraging under the lights. Yeah, yeah, let's go. I'm, I'm hyped up for the night game. I figured it would be a night game because OU has, um, you know, since that rough start they got off to, has more than righted the ship, and they look like normal OU now. And Oklahoma State, I mean, despite the way the last two weeks have been, Oklahoma State's still a top 15 team in the country with only one loss and still very much in the race for a Big 12 championship. So I thought it probably would be a night game, but you just never know with the way the networks decide to, uh, especially Fox, throw some of these bigger games on at 11 for ratings purposes. So, yeah, I'm fired up. It's a night game. Yeah, I mean, there was a real chance it could have been the big noon game on Fox. Yes. And it's a weird deal. Like, Fox has the main – TV contract, but they rotate with ESPN, ABC in terms of who gets first pick. So you never quite know whose turn it is. It's hard to track. So fortunately, they dodged the uh, 11 a.m., the dreaded 11 a.m. game, which maybe that would be good for OSU playing 11 a.m. game under normal circumstances with a full stadium. But at this point with COVID, the, the home field's really diminished. So at least we get to watch well, something in that, prime I'm, time. I'm looking more at the number of eyeballs that will be on Oklahoma and Oklahoma State potentially you know OSU with this one loss this team needs to run the table they need to do it impressively and they need people to see it if they're going to have any chance to be in the conversation at the end of the year and a 630 game against Oklahoma I think gets a lot more eyeballs yeah I mean I, I totally think the the more eyeballs the better I mean OSU's 
really on the outside looking in in terms of the playoffs, especially now that the ACC with Clemson and Notre Dame, even if you know both those teams have a great shot at getting in. So I do think it helps, but I, I just think there's there's an outside chance of OSU getting in. But it certainly doesn't hurt. The more eyeballs, the better. The less chance you'll get, Colby, of a team looking at – or a voter or a pollster or a committee member – just looking at box scores, much better opportunity for them to actually watch the OSU defense and see what they've been doing this year. So I'm with you there. Uh, let's get to the game. I mean, you mentioned right off the top, Colby, that this game was just marred by injuries. Tylen Wallace suited up. He only played one play, the, the onside kick, because he was injured in practice, which if you'll remember, he was injured in practice last year when he tore yeah. his knee. Quickly, before we get too deep into it, I was totally unplugged last week in Mexico. So I didn't know until Saturday mid game that Thailand was injured. Was this something that we knew going in? Because on the broadcast I rewatched this morning, they acted like they thought Thailand would play and, and just was a late scratch. So did, did you all know middle of last week that Thailand wasn't going to play? We didn't know until maybe an hour before the game. I mean, it okay. started, word started to leak out from uh, the OSU radio broadcast that, that Thailand would not be available. And that's why I was kind of surprised that Tim Brandon and them didn't know because it did break before the game started. So maybe 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 Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman don't have Twitter because <laughs> they were they were unaware. But so we knew before the game started, which it's still disappointing, obviously. But we didn't quite know that that Chuba was hurt. I mean that that's something that really developed during the game. Apparently, the word is he was hurt in practice too. Didn't practice all week. LD Brown was apparently hurt in practice this week and didn't practice all week. Uh, we knew Colby Harvell Peel was still banged up from last week as well and didn't didn't play, obviously. So all of those guys, those are those are the biggest names on your roster. And that's before you get to the fact, Colby, now that they're down six offensive linemen when you factor in the preseason defections, the injuries they sustained this year. So you have all of that. That to me makes it more understanding as to why their offense was so terrible. They had 256 yards. Do I think Spencer Sanders needs to be better? But of course, but I understand this game and all wins are not created equal. This is not the same thing as losing to Texas at full strength. When you turn the ball over, I think this is a great win considering all those injuries. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, the starting offensive line for Oklahoma state Saturday was Josh Sills, Preston Wilson, Rice Schneider, Hunter Woodard, and Tevin Jenkins. And, and just listen to the amount of guys that Oklahoma state has lost that should have been higher up on the depth chart. Dylan Galloway was an expected starter. He retired during the offseason because of injury. Bryce Bray and Jacob Farrell both violated team rules and transferred away in the preseason. Cole Birmingham and Hunter Anthony both got hurt in the Tulsa game and haven't been back since. And then a walk-on who had turned into, into the starting left tackle, Jake Springfield, got injured against Texas last weekend and didn't play Saturday against Kansas State. And Tevin Jenkins got hurt, had to miss a few plays Saturday. And his replacement, who came in, Taylor Materko, he got rolled up and limped off the field whenever he came in. So the injury bug on the offensive line has been brutal. And, and I thought it was really obvious that Josh Sills was uncomfortable at left tackle. And having to go against Wyatt Hubert in your first game at that position is, is no fun. You know, Josh Sills was in there at that left guard spot. And now you move him out to left tackle and Wyatt Hubert dominated him uh, to the point that Spencer Sanders fumbled on the first drive. And I'm surprised he didn't fumble the rest of the game because he got hit from that blind side a couple times. Yeah, Hubert's a big time player. <laughs> he was giving them all sorts of trouble. Uh, I did think going into this game, I said this when you were gone on the last show, that I was totally fine with 
OSU coming. I'm normally not. I'm, I normally don't want OSU to play tight and run off tackle and play conservatively. That's just typically the way they're built offensively. That, that That's just a detriment to their team because the offense is their strength. But going into this game, I was fine with it, and they, they, they pretty much did that. They ran the ball 40 times, only threw 23 passes. It's clear that Gundy was going to go into this game conservatively probably anyway, but then once he sees that he's missing all of these guys, he's like, I'm going to ride my defense, and that's what they did. Now, again, I, I think with the way the offensive line was playing, they were getting beat up, they were getting beat. I just – I still think Spencer Sanders – hangs on to the ball way too long. And some of that's not his fault. You know, the first series of the game, he gets blindsided from behind, but there was a guy in his face at that time and he was still hanging on to it. I don't know. What what did you make of, of Spencer Sanders play in this game? Yeah, I thought Spencer Sanders at times did hang on to it too long. I, I did not like the strategy down six offensive linemen of snapping the ball back to your quarterback and having him stand in what you're hoping is a clean pocket and then let it rip. I did not think Oklahoma State moved the pocket nearly enough. I thought there should have been much more of Spencer Sanders taking the ball immediately, rolling one way or another. Uh, I thought there should have been more zone read, more quarterback running game. I looked at the box score at halftime. We were at the wedding reception at halftime on Saturday. And I looked at Oklahoma State had 14 rushes for nine yards. And then I watched the game back earlier, and L.D. Brown had an eight-yard rush in the first half. That means the other 13 times Oklahoma State took off, they gained one yard. And I, I just – I don't know if it's more of kind of the jet sweep game, like what you did with Presley, or if it's more getting Sanders on the run. But I think in the running game, you have to mix things up, kind of like what Kansas State was doing with Will Howard. And then in the passing game, I think if your offensive line is this depleted, you're going to have to get your quarterback on the move, and Spencer Sanders is going to have to make some throws on the run. I love the idea about more rollouts. I think Spencer's way more comfortable doing that too. I think he's far more comfortable on the move than he is just sitting in the pocket, like you mentioned. So that that's something I want to see more of. And I understand Casey Dunn has his work completely cut out for him. I mean, you factor in all these factors with injuries, the offensive line is having a hard time blocking. Obviously you didn't have Tywin. It's Casey Dunn has his work cut out for him. And I did think the, the jet sweep game with, with Brennan Presley was a great wrinkle. And I obviously scored a touchdown on it. Their only touchdown of the game. I think that's, that's a way you can manipulate not being able to block even just, I might even run a jet sweep, every single play just in terms of a guy in motion because that always tends to open up even that's in what Kansas State run. was doing on all those big Will Howard runs Kansas State had a guy in motion on every single one of them oh absolutely I mean it's it's a great wrinkle and I think it's something you saw with Lincoln Riley you know they, they get this Ramondre Stevenson freak back who we're going to talk about when we preview Bedlam but he has TJ Pledger and and um and Seth McGowan these two electric running backs and what does he do he's like well I need my best players on the field so he just starts he, – he creates a package for McGowan and, and Pledger to run jet sweep type of stuff that they did with Presley. So I love that. I think that's a great way to get the running game just a little bit of breathing room off, off, the, off the line of scrimmage. It's just they're going to have to figure some things out in the bye week. The bye week doesn't come at a good time with all these injuries, but Casey Dunn definitely has his work cut out for him. Yeah, I can't think of a better time ever for a bye week. There are so many guys – that need to get healthy. I mean, you can see Chuba would come back in the game, and after every time he came back into the game, he would hobble off. Same with LD. LD even, you know, he broke that one out wide left late in the game, and he tried to set up that high step on the safety. And and as soon as he did, you could tell he felt his hamstring and just trotted out of bounds. It's, you know, guys just aren't healthy right now. And whenever you lose, at one point in that game, Oklahoma State was down Tylen Chuba and LD. You're pretty limited 
down Tylen Chuba and LD. I mean, your your only real offense against Texas was Tylen Wallace one on one and just roasting people, and that went away. And I mean, we could see just how much his absence. You know, you talk about players, most valuable players. His absence just crushed Oklahoma State's offense in addition to the O-line and, and some of the running back injuries. Well, and that's just a an amazingly huge concern for next year. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, oh, but man. my goodness, I mean. I don't even without, want to think about it. Without Tylen Wallace, you saw how limited they were. And obviously Chuba Hubbard's a, a big-time player, but if you can't block him, he's going to be gone next year too. I mean, that's, that's a concern moving forward. But I do think Sanders needs to be more decisive like they called a few quarterback draws that he, when he gets, when he gets to start moving North and South, he kind of tends to try to move around an offensive lineman or cut this way or cut that. He needs to be far more decisive on those called quarterback runs. I think that's somewhere he really struggled too, is it was hard for him to get going at the, at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. So that's something I think he needs to really focus on in the bye week as well. But one of my bigger disappointments again is just the lack of involvement for Jelani Woods, they did target him a bunch, but he ends up with one catch, 11 yards. I just think he's so much more of a weapon, especially without Tywin Wallace, that I was disappointed he didn't get more balls his way and didn't come down with more catches because when they're that limited in the throwing game, you would think a huge target like that, just run them, run them 10 yards down the field, have them turn around and just throw, throw it up where only he can get it. I don't, I don't know. That's something to me too when they play Oklahoma. You're going to have to use Jelani Woods because you saw how Charlie Kolar just destroyed Oklahoma in their secondary. So I, I was disappointed with that too, the lack of involvement for Jelani. Yeah, you know me. I'm a big Jelani Woods guy. But I, I really am starting to question his hands and his ball skills because we saw the touchdown a couple of weeks ago against Iowa State. He juggled it and then caught it and was able to go ahead and go score. We saw against Texas last week on a big third and 10. He had one hit him right in the hands and dropped it. His one catch for 11 yards he had against K-State was a bobble that he ended up catching. And then there was another throw over the middle that was a slight overthrow by Sanders, but he also completely mistimed his jump. He was on the ground by the time the ball went over his head. So I, I am questioning Jelani Woods's ball skills, and but that seems to me like something you should be able to work on in practice. You should be able to get on the jugs machine. You should be able to just constantly work on your hands, work on your hands, work on your hands, if that's an emphasis and if you're wanting that guy to be more of a receiver, but man, we just haven't seen it a couple of years now. We've seen him use very sparingly. And uh, as much as we keep, you know, pounding our heads into the wall saying we'd like to see more of it. I just, I'm not anticipating it because it seems like if we were going to see more of it, we would have by now. That's fair. And you certainly make a great point about his, his hands. It hasn't looked totally confident every time bringing down the football. So the offense has a lot of work to do. They have a bye week to get it get it settled and get healthy. That's the most important thing, just get healthy. But Casey Dunn certainly has his work cut out for him. All that being said, Colby, I mean, what else can we say about this defense? They are absolutely amazing. The fact they won this game is really almost 100% thanks to them. I mean, the way they held Kansas State, to, I think it was 8 of 18 on third down, the two huge turnovers in the fourth quarter, Colby, this is now the fifth time in six games they've held a team under 20 points. I mean, this defense is is for real. We keep saying it. They keep proving it. They had to have it, frankly. I mean, if Kansas State gets to 21 points, they they win the game. That tells you how critical the, the OSU defense was. Yeah, the only time a team's gotten over 20, they start in the red zone three times. They start at midfield another time off of a, um, off of a, a turnover. And the game went to overtime. 
So this defense is absolutely locked down. And this is without Colby Harvell Peel. And the, the play, again, because I'm following along on my phone at a wedding. And so we're doing reception stuff and we've got speeches. So I'm trying not to be rude and look at my phone too much. So I'm looking and I see Kansas State driving when it's 13 to 12 before the scoop and score. And I'm thinking to myself, they're already in field goal range with four minutes left. I don't see how Oklahoma State could keep them from scoring, barring a turnover, and go score themselves because Oklahoma State's offense had been so porous. So at that point, I really thought Kansas State was going to win the game. Uh, and then I got a couple of texts from people saying, wow, that was huge, needed that. So I went back and checked and saw the scoop and score. And, man, Israel Antoine getting the hand in there. And then Jason Taylor was Johnny on the spot and was able to take it to the house. That was, that was huge to not only get the turnover – but to be able to capitalize on it right there and not leave it on the shoulders of your offense because the offense would not have punched that ball in. So Oklahoma State's defense, uh, phenomenal. And then obviously Trey Sterling, the game, the game ceiling interception. Uh, Will Howard in a must-throw situation isn't what you want if you're Kansas State. So, uh, yeah, it was phenomenal, phenomenal stuff from the fourth quarter. Uh, even in the third quarter, zero first downs for Kansas State in the third quarter. So That's Oklahoma State defense after halftime, unbelievable. And I know it's Will Howard. It's, it's a freshman quarterback who clearly is, is limited as a thrower. But, man, he's got some juice. I mean, he's going to be he's going to be a good player in this league in terms of what he brings to the running game. He's big. He's like 6'5". Uh, he's got a lot of potential. And I can't say enough about Chris Kleiman. I mean, he's a menace. He, he I thought Kansas State would go away without Skylar Thompson. They're not going away. They're going to be a tough out for everyone. And you're right. I mean, Israel Antwine, just the defensive line, I thought – really won the game too. And the way they stopped the the two-point conversion, the way they got after the quarterback and that Antoine getting his big paw on it. And it it really wasn't even a scoop and score. It was like a – it just flew right to him in the air. Never, the ball right. never touched the ground. It was yeah, like you're an, right. You didn't have to scoop it. It hit him right in the chest. It was a fumble reception by, by Jason Taylor, the pride of uh, Carl Albert High School, taking it to the house. And I, it was unbelievable. I mean, again, I'll, I'll say it again. I mean, you know, Mike Gundy has made some unbelievable hires at offensive coordinator. We all know that. they've Many of them have gone to be head coaches. You can make the case Jim Knowles is the best hire he's ever made because OSU's always been good on offense since the 80s. That are always going to be good on offense as long as Mike Gundy is the coach. We've never seen a defense like this under the Mike Gundy era. The way they're able to dominate football games. The way Mike Gundy can say, you know what, I'm punting because I trust my defense when the game's on the line and it's working out time and time again, other than the Texas game, obviously. But the Jim Knowles hire, Colby, is I was critical when he made it. I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. For the first few games, it, it looked worse. But, man, they are big time on defense, which will give them a chance to win every game left on their schedule. Yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and take this out to the end of the season. If Oklahoma State's defense continues to play the way that it has, not only anticipate them holding Oklahoma under 20 points, but, I mean, even if they hold Oklahoma to 31 points, that's a really good performance against that offense. I mean, Jim Knowles has to be in the running for assistant coach of the year awards, right? If, if, an, if a school like Oklahoma State that has been historically so bad on defense turns out to be one of the best defenses in the country, I would think he would have to be right up in the top of the conversation for – top assistant coach of the year. Absolutely. Broyles award candidate, no doubt. And we're, we're so used to seeing the offensive coordinators on that list. We've, we've never quite seen, I think maybe Glenn Spencer was, was on a semifinalist list back in 2013 when they were so good defensively. But again, it's, you know, I think Barry Trammell wrote a really good column about this in terms of he didn't think Bill Young should be fired. 
And Glenn Spencer, his first year, completely turned them around. They were the best defense in the Big 12 in 2013, his first season. He didn't think Glenn Spencer should be fired. And now you're seeing what Jim Knowles has done. So sometimes you just need a, a reset, a refresh, a new voice. And clearly Mike Gundy obviously understands his program and, and understands what it needs because – Man, it's paying off dividends, the way they're playing defense and, and the way they're getting after people. And, and frankly, the way they've recruited. I mean, their defensive line now, Colby, looks the part. They just have five, six, seven, eight guys that, that all look like all Big 12 caliber type of bodies. And they're getting after them. And now, of course, you have players like Malcolm Rodriguez, who they've identified in recruiting that no one else has. Uh, I mean, they're just – what else can you say? They, they don't have a real weakness, and it's it's just a joy to watch. And it, it's maddening. It's confusing that in the year 2020 that OSU relies on their defense and their, and just try, tries to survive on offense because that's the opposite of what we've seen since we've been following OSU football. But here we are. I mean, it, it, was, it was unbelievable to watch their performance against K-State. Yeah, you mentioned some of the guys that they brought in. You, the two Edmund Santa Fe guys who are the pass rushers, those are in-state guys that you got to come to Stillwater. You mentioned Malcolm Rodriguez that other people didn't identify. How about going up to Canada and getting Amen Ogbongwamiga? No doubt this defense so um I, I think that identifying some guys that you can get on that side of the ball has been great but we also have to give a ton of credit to player development because these guys just play clean disciplined assignment football and Kansas State got them a couple times that's what Kansas State does that's that's their, the entire design of their offense um but one thing that Oklahoma State really doesn't do more so than any other Oklahoma State defense I've ever seen this Oklahoma State defense does not miss tackles this, this defense tackles and whenever you can do that uh you give yourself a good chance on that side of the ball and like you said eight of 18 on third down for kansas state and that was actually 20 percentage points higher than what oklahoma state had been averaging throughout the year now a lot of those were third and ones third and twos where they didn't have to do uh, a whole lot and they've got that motion of will howard running the ball and everything but yeah i couldn't be more impressed with what jim Knowles has accomplished since he came over to, to oklahoma state because like you i was skeptical initially uh now i'm just hoping they can keep him it's a great point on the on the tackling. I mean, I don't think I've seen an OSU defense that tackles as well. I don't know if Jim Knowles has done something differently in practice or if they just have better players. But there were several times against Kansas State where Will Howard was doing kind of the, the quarterback read game or even a even an option at times, the zone read. And there'd be a, a tackler for OSU in space having to make a decision. I think there was a play where Rodriguez, it was just him and Howard, and he makes this – unbelievable ankle tackle just brings them straight to the ground there's very few teams in the league that when they get their hands on somebody they go to the ground you don't see that very often in this league and OSU does it time and time again that's the reason they're so good on third downs when guys need five yards they hold them to four because they get them to the ground so it, you, you make a great point about the tackling and they were sensational for sure so yeah if you notice any any big plays this year are not from missed tackles the long touchdown by west virginia was just a split in the coverage on the back end the long plays that kansas state had last week um were pretty much guys going untouched because they tricked oklahoma state with some sort of motion even the long pass play against texas was the one real big one they got that was just somebody getting over the top because you sold out for the run a little bit. It, Oklahoma State is not giving up big plays due to missed tackles, which is something we've seen so many times over the years. So, I mean, this defense has just been so much fun to watch. I uh, I really can't wait to see what they do against OU because it's it's strength on strength. It, it definitely is. Huge, huge challenge. And, and we'll get to a little bit of Bedlam talking in a second. But 
I did say Colby coming this game. I'm fine with uh, being conservative. Uh, Gundy had a fourth and one with uh, six minutes to go. Let me check the yard, the down and distance here. It's fourth it's and fourth one. Fourth and one from Kansas State, forty-five. Forty-five. This is usually the uh, the anti punt segment of the show. But did you have a problem with it in this case? One point game, still nine minutes to go. Uh, what do you think of that decision? I did have a problem with it for a couple of reasons. Number one, you were moving the ball better in the second half. You were you had Kansas State's defense on its heels. You were leading time of possession by a lot. They were tired. Uh, you, you were running the ball really well. Spencer had been able to get loose a couple of times uh, and get out. So I thought that you had some serious options as to what you could do play calling wise against the defense that was on its heels. Uh, and another reason is you're up by you're up by what was it two points at that time? It was twenty to eighteen. Um, or was it still 20 to 12 at the time? Which time? Whenever they went forward on fourth and one from the K-State 45. I think it was 20 to 18 at that time. Okay. But I don't want to speak on that. Uh, no, because Kansas State didn't score until later in the game. So it would have been 20 to 12 at the time. Um, man, I just think on fourth and one, you go for it there. All of a sudden now, you're a first down away from field goal range and icing this game and putting it away. And the way Kansas State was operating offensively, it's like they'd get nothing, nothing, nothing chunk play. And I think it's just kind of karma whenever you punt on fourth and one from your opponent's side of the field that they get a 58-yard play on the ensuing play. I just – I don't know. I understand your defense is good and you want to put it in your defense's hands. I, I get all that. But you had Kansas State on their heels. Fourth and one from across midfield, I just I, – I just can't ever co-sign punting. I'm fourth and three there maybe because now you can't just easily run it for a yard. But I – I really thought Oklahoma State had Kansas State on the teals, and I just I can't co-sign that punt. Luckily, I watched it on replay and not live, so I didn't totally lose <laughs> my mind. See, I I think I was okay with it. I, I think I really was. With nine minutes left, one-point game, the idea here with your defense is to pin them deep. I was far more disappointed in Tom Hutton from the – they're punting from the 49. He punts it to the 15 yard line. You got to get that inside the 10. You got to get that inside the five if you're a Division One punter. It just, yeah, it wasn't the best punt. It wasn't the best punt. And so you gave up a, a bad lot punt of yards later there. In the game too. On the last drive after the onside kick, he had a bad punt that he only sit down to the Kansas State 23. Well, I, I think that's a factor in your decision making, don't you, Colby? I mean, if you if you don't have confidence in your punter to do what's required, it's really a bad decision to punt. If you don't think you could even get it inside the 10 yard line from the 50. And he, he's not shown any consistency since he's been at Oklahoma State. So maybe that's the argument for it. I just think he didn't like the way they were blocking, the way the running backs weren't getting many holes. But how about this, Colby? This is total spitballing. This is why podcasts exist. But here's what I do. I know you don't trust Jelani's hands, but you line him up in the Wildcat. And you, you, do the, you do the diamond formation with two fullbacks with Jelani snapping the ball right to him. Jelani can literally just jump up in the air and reach his arm over for the first down. He didn't even have to do that. He literally just has to run into the line and fall forward, and it's a first down. I think that's a great short yardage game when, you're, when your offensive line is having a hard time blocking. Put your six-foot-seven tight end, who used to be a quarterback, by the way, so he knows how to take a, a shotgun snap. Uh, I'm doing like the, the, the Jelani dozer in that situation. That's something I think they should actually do on, on fourth and one because they haven't been very good on short yardage either, which I think factors into Mike Gunny's decision-making. Carson, this might be the single greatest idea you've ever had. I don't know why the Jelani dozer is not a thing. And obviously we'd find a, a catchier name for it. I'm sure, some, sure somebody could send us one on Twitter. But, I mean, how long did we see OU do that with Blake Bell? How long did we see him do it 
with so much success in short yardage situations because you, you get an extra blocker. Not only do you get an extra blocker, you got a guy at 260, 270 pounds barreling down at you, and you're a linebacker because all the defensive tackles have gotten blocked, and you've got to stop this guy from getting two feet. Yeah, I don't like your chances. So, um, yeah, boy, I'd love to see them implement that in the bye week because former quarterback something reliable on third and fourth and one. And he's a former quarterback. You can even incorporate the little jump, the little jump pass in there if, if you get yes. down the goal line. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. And look, it worked with J.W. Walsh, who was who they all knew was going to run the football. Now he's a he's a good runner, but he didn't have the power to get through fourth and one type of tackle. That's the problem I had with them running that sometimes was Walsh would get just stood up because he wasn't very big in terms of taking on linebackers. So. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, and I'm sure if Jelani fumbles it, I look like a complete idiot, but I do like the fact that he used to be a quarterback. He was a quarterback when he showed up in Stillwater, so I don't know. That's something I think I would incorporate. How great would it be if they ran that against Oklahoma, who beat them in overtime with the belldozer? I mean, just to give them a little taste of their own medicine, that would be great. I'd love that. I would love every second of it, and I mean, if a guy fumbles right there, then that's on the execution, not the coaching. It's like they they kept saying on the – on the broadcast late in the game, well, this all comes back down to that decision by Kansas State to go for two up 12 to nothing. Interesting coach's decision there. And I'm like, guys, they had a, a man wide open at the pylon on that two-point conversion, and Will Howard just missed him by two yards. That's not on the coaches. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with you. So that leads us to the bye week. We mentioned it. It comes at a great time, really, for both schools. I mean, Spencer Rattler's banged up for Oklahoma. Spencer Sanders was oh, limping wait, as well. What happened now? Spencer Rattler's banged up? Yes, he, um, he, he stayed in the game, but he ran a kind of a zone read, QB keep, and he tried to, like, lower his shoulder at the goal line instead of just diving on the ground to score. He, I think he was showing off a little bit. And it backfired because he got hit right on the hip. And he tried to – stay in the game. And every time he would throw a football, he would wince and kind of go down to his hands on his knees. And it was almost like Lincoln Riley was proving a point. Like, dude, if you're going to try and lower your shoulder like that, you got to stay in the game. Are you hurt or are you injured? And he was in severe pain and it looked, it looked pretty ugly there. Now he stayed in the game and they didn't pull him until well into the second half, but he he's banged up for sure. That's, that's an injury that's going to be hurting for a little while, but so he's he's a little banged up. He's going to play. Um, Rat, or, uh, Sanders was limping around. We all know about the other injuries we've discussed. So the bye week comes at a good time. But man, Oklahoma's playing their best football. Colby, they are a uh, they're a bad matchup just in terms of everything about them. Their their defensive lines playing they the best they have in a decade at Oklahoma. They have oh I did the numbers last night. I don't have them in front of me, but they have 25 sacks this year. They had 36 all of last year. Just in the last, like, three games, I think they have 14 sacks and a ton of tackles for loss. Their D-line with Ronnie Perkins back is playing big time. So that's a that's a horrible matchup with the way OSU's offensive line is playing. And I just think offensively for Oklahoma, the way they can run the football now with Ramondre Stevenson, that's going to be that's going to be a chore. He's a grown man. I think he... I think Ramondre Stevenson right now looks like the best running back in the Big 12. So it's a, it's a really tough matchup. Yeah, I think he does too. He, he's unbelievable. And he's got size, he's got speed, he's got vision, he's got all of it. Uh, and then OU defensively, I, I still don't trust some of those guys on the back end, but I trust Ronnie Perkins and Perry on Winfrey. Those guys are playing serious big boy football up front, which is why I think Oklahoma State is going to have to do some things to try to get their eye discipline. You know, eye discipline was talked about a lot with Kansas State's offense 
against Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State needs to try to wear out the eye discipline of Oklahoma because I think if you just try to line up and go hat on hat and just try to beat Oklahoma, I, I don't think that's a winning strategy. I think you have to confuse Oklahoma. You have to trick Oklahoma. You have to get them looking at your left hand while you do something with your right hand, a little little magician's trick, little illusionist there on offense for Casey Dunn because – if you just line up my five against your four and we're going to drop back and hope we have a clean pocket to throw from, I think you're going to have problems against OU. Absolutely. And tell me if I'm crazy here. OSU, they've they've tended to gone further and further away over the last few, three or four years from just pure spread, from pure air raid. They've incorporated far more bigger sets with tight ends, uh, far more, you know, far more compact at the line of scrimmage against Oklahoma. I'm, I'm going four wide with when he, maybe even with Jelani out there too. And I'm making, I'm asking Spencer to get the ball out quick and just go to work on that secondary. Cause I do not think Oklahoma state's going to be able to line up and run the football. They couldn't hardly do that against Kansas state. And Kansas state's a really good defense too, but I think the way OU's defensive line's playing, that's a, that's a losing proposition. So I would like to see them spread it out a little more get the ball out of Spencer's hands and really just exploit, get more defensive backs on the field for Oklahoma. That's a winning proposition for OSU. Now you're, you're putting a lot on Spencer's plate in that scenario, but there, there's a lot on his plate anyways, it's quarterback. You got to go make plays to beat Oklahoma. And I do think if Tylen's back, that makes things a lot more simple. Just throw the ball up in the air, let him go get it. Cause he's going to win that battle 99% of the time. So I do think there are matchups to exploit. I don't think it's just OSU is going to go in there and get, get run over. Uh, but I'm with you. You can't just run your plays. You got to put in some new stuff against against Oklahoma. And I do think too, even defensively, I think you need to put in new stuff because Spencer Rattler is still a redshirt freshman. He has shown propensity to turn the ball over, especially in the pocket. When the pocket collapses around him, he can turn the ball over. And he threw a really bad interception against Kansas. So I I think you got to you got to mix it up. You got to do things differently than you've done to this point in the season because they have tape on you on everything. And Lincoln Riley knows that. And so I'm with you. You have to mix it up. Well, and Brennan Presley, get him involved with some of that side-to-side game. Just don't let OU – uh, get comfortable in what they're doing defensively. You, you can't get predictable. You, you've got to keep them off balance. Um, I think some of that's some zone read with Spencer, getting Brennan Presley moving side to side. And the health of Tylen Wallace is such a big deal for this next game because, like you said, if Oklahoma State is unable to get anything going in the run game, which is entirely possible, then Spencer Sanders is going to need his guy out there that he trusts because their connection is unbelievable. And he, he just doesn't have that with some of the other guys. And obviously they're not quite as talented as Tylen. There are very few who are as talented as Tylen. So uh, the health of Tylen Wallace, and I'm assuming he'll be okay because he suited up for that game Saturday against Kansas State and was in on the onside kick. So I'm assuming he was close to being able to play and just couldn't give it a go. So I think he'll be healthy enough to play Bedlam, but it is absolutely crucial that he's out there. No doubt. What do you think the point spread's going to be in this game? Point spread in Norman, uh, I think the point spread will be 10. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be 10. That's about right. Yeah, in favor of OU, obviously, if anyone out there was confused. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, again, we had a bye week to, to talk more Bedlam. So it's – and once again, Colby, it's, it's Big 12 title implications. I mean, I'm trying to rack my brain how many times Bedlam's been for a Big 12 title just in the last – 
10 in years. The last decade. Let's see here. I'm going to try to rack my brain. Uh, let's see. Definitely 13. Well, let's go back in the most recent time. So 2017 for sure. Yeah. The, the Mason Rudolph sure. Baker Mayfield game. 2016 as well in Norman, the game that yeah, you know, the game Gundy ran out the clock at, at the 50 yard line at, at halftime. Uh, 20, not 2014, 2013. It was absolutely a Big 12 title game for OSU. Yeah. Big 12 title game and OSU was favored. Should have won that game in the freezing cold in Stillwater. That was the Blake Bell game. Yeah, not 2012. That was an overtime loss to Oklahoma. Not no title implications. 2011, it was OSU won the Big 12 in 2011. Yeah. 2010, I want to say yes. I think it was. It was in Stillwater. Blackman was playing on one leg. That was the. Uh, was that the Landry Jones game? I can't remember. Oh man, 2010. Yeah, I think that was the that was the year I after that game I said OSU was never beating Oklahoma. It was the <laughs> year that that Landry had those two like 80 yard touchdowns to end the game. Yeah, that was. Uh, and then in 2010, Weeden Blackman. Yeah, that was before they kind of put it all together in yeah. that 2011 season. So yeah, so yeah. Oh, you should, oh, she beat them the very next year, by the way, for the right. total championship. Five, is that five times in last uh, year? Yes. Yep. That's, that's how often this come down to. And again, I think people don't nationally realize this. I don't think Oklahoma people are willing to admit it, but OSU is the biggest obstacle for OU to win a big 12 title every single year. It's been that way for the most part. I mean, no other teams played them for that many, that many times with a big 12 title on the line. Now, granted, they usually play at the end of the year, which, which, you know, going in way far more often than when they play Texas down the cotton bowl, but OSU's the second best program in the league. It's been that way for a decade. So once again, it's Bedlam is is everything. And I think there's all sorts of scenarios too. Barry Trammell wrote another great column, I think today on his his power rankings, going over all the tiebreaker scenarios. It'll make your head spin, Colby. Like for instance, if there's a three-way tie, it goes to like how you did against the fourth place team. And then now it depends on who that fourth place team is at the end of the year. So there's going to be some crazy scenarios here with all the tiebreakers and the the round robin format. It's uh, it's going to be interesting going down the stretch. Yeah, Oklahoma State obviously would do itself a huge favor by beating Oklahoma and going ahead and running the table. Got a tough game later against TCU as well. I was looking this morning. Iowa State has a reasonably tough finish. Kansas State at home at Texas and then West Virginia at home. Uh, Texas is at Kansas. Then they've got Iowa State at home and at Kansas State. So either Texas or Iowa State will lose again at some point, which will be a good thing uh, for Oklahoma State. But we, we need both those teams to lose another game as well. And then OU has uh, Oklahoma State at home, obviously, on the 21st. And then they're at West Virginia, and then they get Baylor at home. You would think that they would win both of those games. So it it's going to be an absolute cluster at the end of the season. And the only real way for Oklahoma State to avoid being part of that cluster is to run the table. They, they are still in control of their destiny uh, but man, it, it'll be tough. Four games to go. You got Oklahoma on the road. TC is TCU on the road or at home? TCU is on the road. Baylor is on the road. So three of the final four on the road uh, and two of those against good teams with OU and TCU. So it, it's going to be tough sledding down the stretch. Yeah. And OSU did OU a huge favor by beating Kansas State because they need, they need Kansas State to lose again. Because yeah. they had the tiebreaker on OU. And I think they, they probably will. But if they yeah. had beaten Oklahoma State, oh, you'd be real in real trouble there in terms of that. And Iowa State, they were in all sorts of trouble against against Baylor. I think Purdy threw three interceptions in the first half, which he's 
he's just so prone to do. And they were up, Baylor was up like 24 to 10 in that game, Colby. And they, and then Iowa state came all the way back. So I think Iowa state and Kansas are very vulnerable. So even if OSU were to lose this game against Oklahoma, they're, they're definitely not out of it the way those two teams are, are susceptible to losing as well. So that's something to monitor, especially OSU has the tiebreaker on both of those two teams. So we, right. we in well, theory, yeah. we could have, we could have a bedlam rematch. It's not out of the question. Now, if Texas wins out, it's if OU and Texas went out, it's it's the Red River rivalry again in, in Jerry World. So there's a ton of scenarios, a, a lot to play out. But Oklahoma State, after they play Oklahoma, they will have played all the contenders. It's just yeah, a matter of every week. Every week, I hate Texas more and more. Should have lost Oklahoma State last week and been completely out of the running. Oklahoma State bails them out with a, a dumb coaching decision and some bad turnovers. And then, as best I could tell, they had every opportunity to lose that game for to West Virginia and were able to sneak it out. Iowa State had every opportunity to lose to Baylor and was able to sneak it out. Those two games would have done wonders for Oklahoma State uh, if Texas and Iowa State would have gotten beat on Saturday. Instead, they both win, and it makes your path to the Big 12 title game that much tougher. Yep, no doubt. Well, you were at a wedding, so you probably didn't watch many of the national games, but uh, Clemson – Notre Dame was a lot of fun to watch. It was a double overtime win for Notre Dame. It it actually pushed back Saturday Night Live, which I was kind of looking forward to with Dave Chappelle. I yeah. uh, didn't get to DVR that or anything, but uh, Notre Dame, for the first time in my lifetime, they belonged on the field with a program like Clemson. They had this the talent discrepancy was not there. They were they were right there with Clemson. I know Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence. We all understand that, but Notre Dame's better than I thought. They they actually pretty much outplayed Clemson throughout that game. So that was kind of the big national game. And Notre Dame moves up to number two, Alabama's up to one. So you could have a situation where Clemson and Notre Dame get into the into the national title uh, playoffs. So that was kind of the most interesting game nationally. I didn't know how much football you got to watch while you were gone. Yeah, no, I was checking the scores. Um, didn't get to watch the end of that one. But I also saw where Florida pretty much railed Georgia. So Georgia is out of any national championship college football playoff conversations, which I'm totally fine with. Not a Georgia guy, not a Kirby smart guy. Poor Todd Munkin. He's the offensive coordinator now at Georgia. And his quarterback play is just, it's 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 atrocious. He's getting Brock Vandegrift out of high school this next year. And I think. Remember, remember that time Georgia wouldn't start Justin Fields. So he transferred. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jake Fromm. Jake Jake Fromm over him. I mean, that's. Oof. They chose so Jake bad. Fromm over him. They knew Justin Fields was going to leave if they chose Jake Fromm, and they chose Jake Fromm. That's so bad. That's like when that's like when Texas kept playing Chance Mock over Vince Young. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's one of those things that makes sense if you don't think about it. <laughs> exactly. It makes, makes no sense if you don't think about it at all. So, All right, Colby, let's get to uh, Bullets and BBs. Uh, this is our segment where we give out a helmet sticker, both good and bad, for, for what we saw over the weekend. I'll start with my bullet, and look, obviously I could go with the defense. I could go with L.D. Brown, who really carried the running game. This is a guy who probably has deserved one sooner in the season. It's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but Alex Hale is having a hell of a season. He's 13 of 14 on field goals. He's perfect on extra points. He, um, you know, in these close games that they've, they've won, Colby, if he misses any of those kicks against West Virginia, Iowa State, this game, I mean, OSU has another loss in their schedule, if not more. He's been great from uh, kind of an unknown guy from Australia. He, he was nails again. He was nails in, in the Texas game to get that game to overtime. Uh, this guy's been been solid. I mean, it's all you can ask for out of your kicker to, to step up there and make the kicks when you have to have them, and he, he's done that. I'll give it to him. Yeah. 
He's been unbelievable. I was actually going to do uh, Alex Hale, and you took it from me, so I'm going to give it to Israel Antwine. Israel Antwine's name was called a lot throughout the day. He did a good job just being responsible in his gaps, helping fill the run, and uh, he had to play the game. He stripped Will Howard on the um, technically scoop and score that Jason Taylor took to the house. He got his hand in there and made that ball come loose, and that play was the difference in the game. Kansas State was about to score to take the lead, and the way Oklahoma State's offense was playing, there's no guarantee they would have been able to score and come back. So I've got to give it to Israel Antoine because he, he played a heck of a game and made the big play at the end. I'm going to give, I like that a lot. And I, and I'll do another one just for the defense. I mean, again, five out of six games under 20 points, you don't win the game without those turnovers. It was very reminiscent of that game at Iowa state last year where they had those fourth quarter turnovers of, of Brock Purdy, even a pick six by Malcolm Rodriguez to win that game. So very reminiscent. So I'll, I'll give it to the defense as well for another, Another bullet. Uh, BB for me is the Hubert kid's a really good player from Kansas State. Did you see all the showboating he was doing? Like after I did, time? yes. Yeah, he was taking selfies on the field. Not, yeah, not Bill, literally with a phone, but he was doing the selfies with his hands and stuff. They showed Bill Snyder up in the stands early in the game, up in the press box with his binoculars. I just pictured him with his binoculars just staring at Hubert, just wishing he could like make him run stairs the whole game. <laughs> I mean, there was the first sack he had, too, in, on the first series where he, he sacks – Sanders who fumbles it the ball's still like kind of out like I wish you guys about to fall on it but Hubert's still just turning and flexing instead of worrying about where the football is so I don't know that that was a little bit too much hot dogging for me I I didn't have a a really great uh BB for this game so that's 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 my best attempt yeah I mean here's what I'm gonna give the BB because there wasn't something glaring like the, the turnovers and everything last week I'm gonna give the BB to Oklahoma State's return game which for whatever reason has become totally non-existent. And, you know, I will repeat what was the theme of last week's show, hire a special teams coach because (laughs) aside from field goal kicking with Alex Hale, special teams just remains a liability for Oklahoma State. The, The amount of elite returners that Oklahoma State used to have when you think Darren Williams, Des Bryant would get back there and return, Prentice Elliott was a great returner, Kendall Hunter did some things in that respect. And now Oklahoma State just... Every single punt, it feels like, is a fair catch. There's no threat uh, of bringing a kickoff out and doing anything with it. I just um, – I, I really kind of despise Oklahoma State's return game the last several years. It, it's just non-existent. It's not a weapon. I believe the last time they had a return touchdown was Jalen McCleskey at Tech in 2015, if memory serves. I think that's the last time they had a punt return touchdown. Sounds about right. Oh, and I didn't Ur, Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill, maybe. Yeah, was, how can I not mention Tyree Kill? Although I think Tyree Kill was gone in 2015. Oh, Tyree Hill. Tyree Hill's last game was the uh, Bob Stoops repunt. That yeah, was that was 2014. So I think that's right. I think McCleskey's punt return against Tech when they well, scored like they won like 72 to 60 something that year. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Bedlam might have been played a couple games from the end of that year. So well, no, because that was the game that got Oklahoma State to six and six, and then between that and the bowl game. Uh, is whenever the incident took place uh, with Tyreek in, in Stillwater, and he was given the boot. So, yeah, I believe that Bedlam game okay. was. I'm, okay, I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm right. Okay, I thought I thought I had my years mixed up. They won 70-53 to 53 in 2015. That was when uh, McCleskey had his, his punt return. 70-53, no, no, that feels like it was ages ago. <laughs> yeah, 70 points. I'm with you, though, man. I mean, Dylan Stoner's a good player, but he, he fumbled, and they were very fortunate to get that ball back. They don't really ask him to return it a whole lot. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing Brennan Presley back there. I know he's a true freshman. 
but he's he's pretty electric. He did that in high school. Uh, he showed he knows how to get in the end zone. Maybe he could add some juice to the return game because your offense isn't as good as it used to be, Colby, where you could just wave fair catch and go score. So I'm with you. The, the return game leaves a lot to be desired, no doubt. Uh, with that being said, let's get to the uh, uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And man, did they have a new look, Colby Powell. They went to the Cursive Cowboys helmet. I predicted all white, but I didn't see a Cursive Cowboys helmet coming. What did you think of the, the new helmet? I thought it was slick, man. I liked it. I, I would be down for a repeat of that helmet. I love the Curse of Cowboys. You can put it on a helmet. You can put it on a jersey. You can put it on shorts, a hat. I don't care where you put it. You can put it on the pants on the side. I'd be good with that. I love the Curse of Cowboys. Uh, I texted my dad when it, or, uh, when it came out. And, you know, my dad is just, he rides for the brand harder than Mike Holder. He, <laughs> he just, he loves the brand. And if it's not the brand, he doesn't like it. So I sent him a picture and he's learned how to do like the thumbs up or thumbs down or the ha ha on a text you can do now on iPhones. He just gave it the thumbs down. I was offended. Oh. So I was like, what is this? What do you mean? No, you don't like it. And he just said, give me the brand. So he, he wasn't impressed. And it kind of reminded me of Florida with the curse of gators on the helmet, which I've never really liked, I guess, because I don't like Florida. So I guess I'm being a bit of a hypocrite by liking the, uh, the curse of Cowboys. And the, to me, the, the stripe that they've added to the helmet now with the, the black and orange stripe just it's so good. It makes the helmet look so much better than just without one. So I, yeah, I thought it. it looked really good. And my, my uni Heisman for Saturday goes to Amen Ogbongamiga. I thought he really looked the part on Saturday. So seven looks good on e him. Easy call for me. Yeah, he, he was great. And, and he easily could have got a, a bullet sticker helmet award because he was just everywhere. And you could tell at the end of the game, he was just beaten to a pulp from making all those tackles from taking on blocks and, he was sensational. He, he always, he's always a candidate on the uni Heisman for sure. So I'll go with Malcolm Rodriguez. He, he was rocking the, the, the high white socks, which I just love. If you're going all white, I think you got to just pull the socks up too. It's a great look. It kind of reminds you of, of Texas with the all white, with the high white socks. So it, that was a great look for me for uh for Rodriguez who wears kind of an unconventional number for a, for a linebacker. I guess you can tell he's a former safety yeah. with the number 20, but uh, I thought he looked great. So that's, that's my uni Heisman. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. Are we are we ready for interesting things? Because I've got a few. Yep, let's do uh, one interesting thing before we get out of here. You got two, two or three interesting things. Yeah, I've got a few here. It's it's big week. So first off, uh, and I just saw this come across Twitter. Stuart Mandel tweeted this out. The Pac-12's rough start to their college football season. Utah had an outbreak, canceled their game, and had a player hospitalized. Cal may lose two games because of the stringent contact tracing in California. Stanford's starting quarterback was announced out 90 minutes before the game and Washington state had 32 players unavailable for the opener. So Oof. swing and a miss for the PAC 12 trying to uh, get in the action with college football. I, I, I don't they, know what that looks like moving forward. Didn't they cancel a game for like a negative test? I think the Cal game or there was some, something weird with that. I don't know what happened with Cal. It just says here in his tweet, Cal may lose two games because of stringent contact tracing. Yeah, someone was tweeting that like it was a it was a negative contact trace. It was something very, very flimsy to cancel the entire game. And here's another thing: Trevor Lawrence wasn't able to play against Notre Dame. He tested positive for COVID nineteen. He was on the sideline in the huddle, not wearing a mask, just right there. He can do that, but he can't play in the game. That was bizarre. Like 
he's in the huddle, like talking to his teammates. He's not even in quarantine. So why isn't he playing in the football game? That, that we, we, we've kind of lost touch. If that's, if that's what he's doing during the game, that just made no sense to me. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense at all. No sense whatsoever. So um, go ahead and do your one interesting thing. And then I'll give you just kind of my freebies at the end. Well, it's master's week and I just oh, saw uh, Matthew Wolf will actually be one of the press conferences today. He's getting some primetime treatment at Augusta. So he's going to, his presser today is, I believe, about three o'clock, maybe two o'clock local time. Uh, but I did see Bryson DeChambeau on the driving range. He hit 201 ball speed and 362 carry. What this guy is going to do this weekend is going to be fun to watch. It's going to be not fun to watch for the green coats. I think they're going to be disgusted with some of the angles he's going to take on this course. But it's his tournament to lose with the yardages he's going to have going into greens. Now, he, he his approach game has not been good this year. He's putted way above his, his normal putting stats this year. That's a testament to the work he's put in. But at Augusta, they don't allow green reading books. So I'm curious to see how his short game holds up. And, and obviously, Ricky Fowler's playing, Matthew Wolf. Uh, unfortunately, Victor Hovland didn't make it because they're going on last year's April rankings. Yeah. And he's just outside the top 50, which is a huge disappointment considering he's the reigning, you know, low am and he's number 24 in the world. So those are, those are kind of some local guys to watch out for as well as Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Carl Albert earlier in the show. I also wanted to give a shout out to former Oklahoma state cowboy and for former Carl Albert Titan, Taylor Gooch, who shot a final round 63 yesterday at the Houston open to, uh, to finish solo fourth in that tournament behind only Carlos Ortiz, Dustin Johnson and Hideki Matsuyami. So big day for Taylor Gooch. Uh, congrats to the former Oklahoma State Cowboy there. And then, yeah, I was wanting to see, uh, give me your low poke for the Masters. That was my other interesting, we won't record again before Thursday. So I want your low poke at the end of the week. How many are there? Do we, do I name everyone? Uh, Wolf, Ricky, I'm sure like. I had the list in, in earlier. In the field or somebody like that. Norin might be, I tweeted out the, I think it's just, I think it's just Ricky and, and Wolf, if I want to. I'm reading this right. Might just be Ricky and Wolf. I'm pulling it up here. I might. The easy answer seems to be Wolf, right? The way he's played this year, his distance is going to be a big, big, big advantage at Augusta. I do think Ricky will play well this week. I mean, he finished second at the Masters two, three years ago. I mean, he was. When Patrick Reed won. He was near the leader leaderboard last year uh, when Tiger won. I mean, he plays well here. He's a great putter. He hadn't putted that well this year. He's even switched putters, which tells you Charles, how Charles Hell the third, by the way. Charles Hell the third in the field. Chucky three sticks is in the field. Chucky Can't count him out. I'm gonna go on a limb and say Ricky. I, I just got a feeling he plays well here. I, he's always played well at Augusta. And I, I think a first timer usually has a lot to learn around the greens at Augusta. And that's and that's frankly where Matthew Wolf struggles the most. So I'll I'll go with Ricky. Yeah, I actually was going to go with Ricky as well, just course history. I like experience at Augusta National. The green complexes are some of the most difficult and complex in the world. It's the reason that I think Bryson will be so much fun to watch this week because obviously if he tames the greens, he's probably going to win the tournament. But taming these greens is no easy task, especially for a guy who relies so much on the green reading books to have every little nook and cranny penciled out and tell him exactly which way everything's going to break. So um, I, I like experience at this golf course and Ricky has it. So I will take Ricky as the low cowboy. And I, I know he hadn't played his best golf lately. I wouldn't be shocked to see him on the leaderboard with a chance on Sunday. I wouldn't either. 
as poorly as he's played this year, I mean, the Masters is a special place and course history matters, course knowledge matters. So I, I, you and I are in total agreement there. And, oh, it'd be, it'd be so much fun to watch him win a Masters and win a, his first major yeah. because yeah, the man. year that Patrick Reed won, you know, I, Kyle Porter was there. And he was saying that all the, the guys in green jackets that were standing near him were pulling so hard for Ricky and so hard against Patrick Reed. He would be such a great masters champion with Ricky, such a classy guy. And that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun to watch. And orange and green doesn't always go together, but that'd be fun to watch to see the, the green jacket go around the, uh, the orange polo. That'd be great. Yeah. If, if Ricky ever wins a masters, that'll make a good Halloween costume for some people dress up like <laughs> Ricky and then throw a green blazer over it. Oh, that'd be, that'd be the best. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I don't know where you find a green blazer these days, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I could find one if he, if he pulled that off. Yeah, we'll make it happen. I, I need one for like masters parties. That's like a that's like a clutch move to show up at a masters party in, in the green coat. So yeah, that would be a pretty pretty boss move. Pretty boss well, move. No game this week for OSU. So we'll probably talk more masters too on Friday, and we'll we'll uh, we'll obviously keep previewing Bedlam, and we'll probably ask for some Twitter questions as well. That we'll we'll do some Twitter questions for Friday's show. Sound good, Colby? Absolutely. All right, we will talk to you then. See you later.